may have noticed that the Yorgi's pew is a little uh, sparse this morning. Uh, many of our church members are actually at RBC this weekend, so just ask that you be in prayer for them as they come back. Um, but I just want to give you a heads up on what's happening uh, this week and next week. So this week I'm obviously here preaching, as Pastor Tim has been preaching at a, uh, RBC. But next week, Joe Cable will be uh, doing the sermon. Um, Pastor Tim is going to be taking a week off. He's going to be going down to a pastor's retreat. Just ask that everyone uh, just be in prayer for him and Allison as they travel. If you do need anything, feel free to reach out to myself or any of the other leadership, and we will help you this week. Um, With that, I just ask you to join me as we go before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this morning. Thank you that we can gather together, and just thank you that we can worship you through song. Father, I just thank you for all those who are here for safety as we travel on just the icy roads. As we open up your word, as we look back at where we've been in Genesis, Father, I just pray that we open our hearts and minds to see the message that you have here, to see uh, uh, not only the problem of sin, but also the love that you had for us and how you sent your son. Father, I just pray that as we open the word, we see the message that you have before us. Father, I just pray that you watch over us, that we continue to glorify you and continue to worship through you through the reading of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, like I said, we are going to be recapping a little bit of where we've been in Genesis. Um, but last week, my family and I went down to Kentucky so I could take a class at Southern Seminary. Um, and we decided to stay an extra day uh, because the Ark Encounter Museum was so close by. It's something that we've been wanting to do for a while. And I got to say, the Ark Encounter was very interesting. We had a great time. Uh, We've been in Genesis for quite a while, and we spent a a lot of time looking at the story of the flood and Noah, Uh, but it was really neat to see how these Bible passages come alive looking at something like that replica of the Ark. Um, For example, I I know the Bible describes that it was a a big boat with lots of animals, uh, but I got to say, it was a lot bigger than I was expecting. It was really neat to see. And I think things like this are helpful because they help reinforce that these stories in the Bible aren't fiction. They're real historical accounts. The ark was a real boat that Noah built. And I can see value in ministries like the Ark Encounter that highlight the reality of these historical accounts. As we were walking through the ark, though, one of the displays that caught my eye was a display of kids' books about children's stories about Noah and the ark. I'm sure we've all read them. There's a lot of them out there. Uh, And normally they're pretty fun. They tell the story about Noah collecting all the animals and putting them on what was essentially a floating zoo and having a cruise through the flood. Um, But the the display was there to make a point. Oftentimes, these children's stories just highlight the fun parts of the story. These children's stories emphasize the big boat and the zoo of animals but they leave out some of the more gruesome details. This display was encouraging us to have a broader view of the story, to have a more detailed and accurate view of the flood. As Pastor Tim has detailed, experiencing the flood would not have been fun. The flood brought death and destruction. Now, I don't want to say there's anything particularly really wrong with these children's stories. They they highlight something that's very true, God's goodness and his mercy on Noah and his family. However, If we have adults, if we do not see the other side of the story, if we don't see the sin, death, and corruption, we miss the reason God had to send the flood on the earth. 
if we don't see the full picture, if we don't see how sin entered the, pro- entered the world and was a real problem that God had to deal with, unfortunately, I think we miss a big part of the story. I think the display of those children's books at the Ark does highlight something that we don't fully understand. God judged the earth by sending the flood because of the complete corruption of sin. Sin had completely corrupted mankind. And I think we underestimate the corrupting power of sin. Genesis 6 puts it this way. In Genesis 6, verse 5 and 7, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of his thoughts, of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth. And it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things, and the birds of heaven, for I am sorry that I have made them. However, we live in a world that does not believe in this complete corruption of sin. If you ask most people, they'll claim that maybe there's some little bit of good deep inside of everyone. Maybe that there are some people who are basically good at, you know, deep down. Every couple of years, uh, Ligonier Ministries does a survey called the State of Theology. Uh, they ask Americans if they agree or disagree with different statements on Christian doctrine. Uh, the latest survey was taken in 2022, and 66% of people surveyed agreed with this statement. Everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. Again, 66% of people, two-thirds of people surveyed, believe that people are basically good, that sin has not completely corrupted them. Our world denies this complete corruption of sin. Sin is like a cancer that spread throughout creation. And this morning, I want to look at how the cancer of sin spread through the story of Genesis. Paul describes the spread of sin in this way in Romans. In Romans 5.12, he says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sin. I want to look at how sin spread through the story of Genesis. Before Tim goes any farther in the book of Genesis, I want to pause, and I want to take you back to where we've been. Specifically, we'll be going through Genesis chapters 3 through 9. If you'd like, you can turn to chapter 3 right now. And I want to show you how sin entered the world and completely corrupted man's relationship with God, with his fellow man, and with all of creation. We're going to do this by returning to three stories we've already gone through. We're going to start by looking at the fall of man, of Adam in the garden. We're going to look at the murder of Abel by his brother Cain. And finally, we're going to end by looking at the flood. This is the first part of two sermons in two weeks. Um, When Tim comes back, he'll be preaching the second half. Um, Like I said, today I'll I'll be looking at where we've been at Genesis 3 through 9. And in two weeks, Tim will be doing a sermon on how Christians are to persevere through sin and suffering. But to begin our recap, we need to go back to the beginning of Genesis. Uh, We'll be moving pretty quickly through chapters 3 through 9 as we look at the fall of mankind and how sin entered the world. Uh, We've spent a lot of time talking about Adam. We've spent a lot of time talking about creation, and you'll be very familiar with it uh, to this point. But I want to just summarize Adam's fall and creation quite quickly. God created everything in six days. And the pinnacle of his creation was mankind. It was Adam and Eve. God charged Adam with two things. First, he gave him a positive command. 
He asked Adam to be a steward of creation, to keep the garden and to fill it and have dominion over it. But God also gave Adam a negative command. He commanded Adam not to eat of the tree of good and evil. But unfortunately, we know what happens next. Adam did not obey the commands of God. Eve was tempted by the serpent, and Eve also gave some of the fruit to Adam to eat, the fruit that God had commanded him not to. You'll turn to Genesis 3.6. We can see this happen. Genesis 3.6 says, so when, the, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate. And she also gave to her husband who is with her, and he ate. And he ate. I just want to preface one thing. God is not the author of sin, and he did not make man sin. However, God does allow sin and the consequences of it. The consequences of Adam's sin was death and the breaking of man's relationship with God. Adam's sin is often referred to as original sin, and that doesn't mean it was just the first sin. Original sin was the sin that corrupted mankind. Adam's sin gave each one of us a sin nature. Everyone born after Adam was bound to sin, and everyone after Adam commits sin. We sin because we are sinners, but also... Original sin means that we're guilty of Adam's sin, that Adam's sin brought death to everyone. As Romans 5.12 says, death spread to all men because all sin. We are all sinners by action, but we're also all sinners by inheritance. As we look at the consequences of Adam's sin, we'll see that God curses Adam and Eve and the serpent. As we look at these curses, we notice that they expose the now broken relationship between Adam and God. Adam's sin and the curse of death broke the relationship that they had between God and man. Back in Genesis 2, we read this command and the warning of death. Genesis 2, 16-17 tells us, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you will surely die. God said that on the day that they eat the fruit, they will die. When the Bible talks about death, we need to think about it in two senses, however. First, it does mean that they'll physically die. But if you'll notice in the passage, they do not physically die on the day that they eat the fruit. Now, they do begin to see the effects of physical death. And one day they will physically die. But there are two parts to the death that God is speaking about. They did not physically die on that day, but they did spiritually die. When they sinned, they were separated from God, and the relationship that they had was broken. On the day that they sinned, they became spiritually dead. This is the consequence of the original sin. Everyone born after them was born into the spiritual death. Everyone, because of the fall, is spiritually dead. Spiritual death is a consequence of how sin completely corrupted mankind. We see this here in Adam, in the consequences of his sin, how his sin broke the relationship between mankind and God and began this corruption. We believe this because the scripture tells us that sin has brought complete corruption and death. We're going to look at two more examples of this corruption and death this morning. I want to show you 
how corruption of mankind starts at the very beginning of Scripture, however. As we've studied Genesis, we see that sin enters in chapter 3. We only get through the first 1,400 words of the Bible before sin enters the story. 1,400 out of three-quarters of a million. Sin must not be underestimated. Adam's sin broke the relationship between man and God. Sin has entirely corrupted mankind. And we see this play out in the very next story of the Bible. After the fall, Adam and Eve were sent out of the garden. And they go on to have two sons, Cain and Abel. A few months ago, I was able to preach through the stories of Cain and Abel. And uh, we spent quite a bit of time looking at the two of them. I want to go back, though, and highlight how Cain's sin now shows us the broken relationship not only between man and God, but also between man and his fellow man. I want to show you the complete corruption and how the consequences of Cain's sin show us these broken relationships. Just as we saw how Adam's sin broke the relationship between God and Adam, between God and man, Cain's sin highlights the brokenness now between mankind. We'll pick up the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4. You'll turn with me to Genesis chapter 4, and I'll be reading from verses 3 through 5. It says, In the course of time... Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portion. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. Cain was jealous of God's favor for Abel's offering, but instead of repenting of his jealousy and pride, Cain gives in to temptation. He lures Abel out into a field to murder him. Genesis 4.8 tells us this. He says, it says, Cain spoke to his brother Abel, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. As Cain murders Abel, we can see that sin and the consequences of it have been passed to the rest of mankind. Cain and Abel did not escape the consequences of Adam's sin. Cain's sin exposes the spiritual death that they were born into. Adam's sin broke the relationship between God and man, and now we see not only is the relationship between man and God broken, but the relationship between man and the rest of mankind is also broken. Scripture tells us that sin spread like a cancer, and we see that has corrupted Adam and Eve as well as their children, Cain and Abel. Cain's sin exposes the broken relationship between man and man. And the consequences of sin did not stop there. Sin spread to every child born after them. The effects of sin on creation were complete and totally corrupting. As we continue on, we read the story of Noah and the flood. As I mentioned before, Genesis 6 tells us that sin has completely corrupted mankind. Genesis 6, 5-7 says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention and thought of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man who I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heaven, for I am sorry that I have made them. Genesis 6 tells us that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention and thought of his heart was only evil continually. Going back to my illustration at the beginning of the sermon, the flood is not a very happy story. The story of the flood of one, uh, is one of God's judgment on the corruption of sin. 
The sin that Genesis tells us was great in the earth. The story of Noah and the flood highlights another broken relationship. The broken relationship now between man and the rest of creation. Again, we see the consequences of sin spreading. We see Adam's broken relationship with God. We see Cain's broken relationship with his brother, Abel. And now we see how the corruption of mankind has broken their relationship with all of creation. And this is where we are in the story when God sends the flood. God judging the sin on the earth. And it was all because of the original sin of Adam. Because the effects of sin are completely corrupting. Genesis 6, 12-13 goes on and tells us, And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. No one escaped the corruption of sin. The consequences of Adam's sin had been passed to the entire world. As Genesis 6 tells us, the whole earth was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on earth. The sin during Noah's time highlights this broken relationship between man and all of creation. And so God acted. He cleansed this corruption from the earth. Genesis 7 continues. In Genesis 7, 21 through 23, it says, And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things, and birds of the heaven. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left, and those who were with him in the ark. If we don't see the whole picture of the story, if we don't see the sin and death and corruption, we miss the reason God had to send the flood. We must not limit our understanding to the children's books that tell a happy story of Noah and the flood. God judged the earth by sending a, the flood because of the corruption of sin. We must not underestimate the corrupting power of sin. These three stories we've studied this morning show us how sin has damaged man's relationship with God, with his fellow man, and with all of creation. Sin has completely corrupted mankind. Even after the flood, as God makes his covenant with Noah, he still sees this corruption. In Genesis 8:21, he says, And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, and the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again strike down every living creature as I has done. Again, it says, for the intention of man's heart is evil from, its youth, from his youth, even after the flood. We're often uncomfortable with the consequences of Adam's actions. We're uncomfortable with the corruption that his sin led to. But Paul in Romans says the actions of one man made us all sinners. If you'll please turn with me to Romans chapter 5, I want to walk you through several passages here. We'll start in Romans 5.12. I'll read this again. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sin. Our world rejects this. 
Again, most people believe that deep down there's a little bit of good still left in people. Again, the survey from Ligonier reports that 60%, 66% of people think that everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. We see this in many religions that teach that we can be saved by our own good works. And we want to think that we can escape, escape sin and corruption on our own. An example of this were some of the early settlers in America. They hoped that by coming to a new land, they could escape the corruption of their homelands. But sin followed them. In fact, sin was already there. Sin and its corruption could not be escaped. There's no good thing we can do or good inside us that can free us from the power of sin. The world wants us to believe that the problem, that sin is external, and that the solution, that some kind of good, is still inside of us. There's a story about one of my favorite authors that relates to this problem of sin. G.K. Chesterton is a writer from England, and he was once posed with the question, what's wrong with the world today? In response, he simply wrote back a very short letter. He said, Dear Sir, I am yours, G.K. Chesterton. His point is that we're each part of the problem because we're each sinners. The idea that there is some good left in people contradicts the gospel. The call of the gospel is to look to Christ, not to look at within ourselves. Paul reminds, of the, Paul reminds us of this in Romans 5. In verses 15 through 16, he says, But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespasses, much more have the grace of God and the, three, and the free gift by grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Adam's actions caused us all to be corrupted by sin, but Romans reminds us that God did not leave mankind to death. He did not leave us with the consequences of the first Adam. God promised a second Adam, Jesus Christ. Verses 17 through 19 continue and say, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Romans says the actions of one man, of Adam, made us all sinners. But this is important because it points us to what Christ has done. Adam was disobedient. And through Adam came sin and death. But Christ, as we've talked about previously in my sermons on Cain and Abel, he, Christ was a new and better Adam. Death and sin came through the original Adam. Life and salvation come through Christ, the new and better Adam. If we believe that by one man's actions, by Jesus' actions, we can be saved and made righteous before God, we must realize that through one man's actions, through Adam's actions, we were all condemned to death 
because of the corrupting power of sin. The actions of Adam condemned all those born of Adam to death. But the actions of Christ earned all those who are born again eternal life. As Paul puts it in 18 through 19, therefore one trespass led to condemnation for all men. So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. The three stories we've studied this morning show us how sin has damaged man's relationship with God, with his fellow man, and with all of creation. How sin has completely corrupted mankind. We are guilty because of Adam's sin we are born into death. But those who believe are declared righteous through Christ's obedience. We do not have any work to share in Christ's righteousness. We do not have to rely on any of our own good works or any good left inside of us. We don't look inside ourselves for salvation. We look to Christ. As I begin to conclude my sermon, I want to acknowledge that sin and its consequences are not a light topic. The reality of sin is not a topic that makes for a feel-good sermon. As Christians, we grieve because of sin and its consequences. But at the same time, sin and death point us to our desperate need for a Savior. In youth Sunday school, I've been teaching through the book of Romans. And we've spent quite a bit of time going back between Genesis and Romans this morning. And one of the things I pointed out to our students in our study of Romans is that the Apostle Paul begins his letter talking about sin. The reason Paul talks about sin before he talks about the gospel is to show the brokenness of this world and to show us our need for a Savior. It shows us we desperately need, a, need someone to save us from death. Before we close, I want to turn to one last chapter this morning. If you'll please turn to John chapter 3. We're going to spend a little bit of time in there. You're probably familiar with this passage. In John chapter 3, Jesus addresses the problem of original sin and spiritual death. And I'll read the passage beginning in verse 1. John chapter 3, verse 1 says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Jesus talks here about being born again. You'll remember that we talked about death, that the curse of uh, Adam, that the curse of death had two parts, physical death and spiritual death. Everyone who is born after Adam was born into the spiritual death. In one of the most well-known passages of the Bible, Jesus explains to Nicodemus that he must be born again. And Nicodemus doesn't understand what this means. He's confused. What Jesus means is not that he has to be born again physically, He's addressing the spiritual death Nicodemus faced. He's addressing the spiritual death that each one of us face. Jesus is telling Nicodemus 
that he must be spiritually again because he was born dead. This is what he means when he says, you must be born again. Jesus continues on in John 3, 16 through 19. He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. What makes us uncomfortable addressing sin and the actions of Adam? We should rejoice, because God did not leave us without hope. Paul tells us in Romans that God sent his son, who was a new Adam, and who did what Adam could not do. Adam's actions earned us death, physical and spiritual death. But Christ's actions earned life for those who are born again. As we realize this, I believe we should have two reactions. First, I think it's okay for Christians to grieve because of sin. In a couple of weeks, Pastor Tim is going to go through a whole sermon on how Christians handle sin and suffering in their lives. However, at the same time, I think we should see that our sin shows us our desperate need of a Savior. We should rejoice because God did not leave us in the spiritual death. God sent his Son. Jesus says in John that we can be born again. The actions of Adam condemned all those born of Adam to death. But the actions of Christ earned all those who are born again eternal life. And as we leave this morning, I hope you're reminded of our desperate need of the Savior. Even born-again Christians need to hear the gospel preached to remind them of this desperate need. But if you have not been born again, I fervently hope that you realize your need for our Savior. And I want to echo the call that Pastor Tim gave a couple of weeks ago as he was preaching through Noah's preparation for the flood. Do not wait, for the day is coming. Today is the day of salvation. Repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus, our Savior. Please join me as we close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are grieved because of the sin and death in this world. Father, we come before you now, humble, repentant of our sin. Father, we thank you that you did not leave us to death, but you sent your Son. Father, thank you that he did what the first Adam could not do, that because of his obedience, we can be born again. I thank you for the reminder that is. I just pray that each one of us are reminded every day of how desperately we need our Savior. And Father, just pray for those who don't know him, that they come to a saving knowledge of our Savior, and that they too can be born again. In Jesus' name, amen.